My name's Todd. And this is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 589. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? In order to feel outstanding. <laughs> and always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, boundaries. Boundaries. So we are in March now. And if you guys remember in February, Todd and I focused on empathy. Um, that was kind of our overriding theme. And we went in a lot of different directions in February. That wasn't the only thing we discussed. But I think for Todd and I lately, we're like, let's have a let's have an umbrella theme and then kind of pull out everything we can. And this month, March, it's boundaries. Um, yeah. And I guess my I think boundaries are so incredibly important. We've dedicated just a f- a handful of mm-hmm. podcasts to this topic. Mm-hmm. And I feel like aside from like, and I said this to you yesterday, self-awareness, self-love, like the foundation, uh, mindfulness, mm-hmm. boundaries is like right there as important as almost anything we talk about. And I feel like we've underserved that topic. So I'm looking forward to see where we're going in the month of March, because I know personally, I got <laughs> I got a lot of work to Me do. Me too. Me too. Yeah. And that's and what's interesting about it is boundaries, just like everything else, is very layered because there's many areas when it comes to boundaries that I've that I feel very comfortable in. Like there's certain boundaries I have that are very clear. Um, that I feel very comfortable with that no longer make me, um, they no longer feel like work to establish, but there are areas sometimes where it's like, Oh wait, I'm still struggling with this in this aspect of boundaries. And so I think for some of you, you'll see yourself in different places. Some people are starting from the very beginning, which is, I don't even know how to say no. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I feel like I have no boundaries and I'm completely permeable. And for some people, it'll be like, no, I can establish this and this and this, but where are the areas that my boundaries are not solid? Yes. So that's the tease. But first, Sweetie does a Zen parenting moment twice a week, Tuesdays and Fridays. This week, we are focusing on the one that you wrote last Friday, mm-hmm. and it was called, or you titled it, Being Seen. Yes. And you always have a quote at the beginning, and I'm going to play some music from the quote that you shared by Billie Eilish from a song called Bury a Friend. Mm-hmm. What do you want from me? Why don't you run from me? What are you wondering? Why do you know? Why aren't you scared of me? Why do you care for me? Fall asleep. Where do we go? There we go. Talk about every question that anybody ever answers or anybody ever asks, right? For those of us who weren't paying attention, like I'm not pointing fingers, but if there's a mirror, <laughs> what what what's the what gist do of- you want for me? Why do you care for me? And you know, every single sentence in that song is, or at the beginning of that song, is like all the questions that I think all human beings have, but especially teenagers. Mm. And especially to me, because of my area that I I focus on is girls and women, especially teenage girls. I got uh, about two or three emails from people on Friday when this um, when this unparenting moment came out saying, I think this applies to my sons as well as my daughters, because I made it very teenage girls focused. um, And I 100 percent agree. Um, I was giving a story, which was when I work with teenage girls, this is what I hear from them. Mm-hmm. Um, but the truth is that like, you know, the questions like, what do teenage girls often say to me about why they do the things they do? They'll say something to the effect of, I don't want anybody to think that. Mm-hmm. And what, what does that look like? I don't want anyone to think I think I'm smart. I don't want anyone to think I'm bragging about myself. I don't want anyone to think I care about this. It's like this constant um, concern that someone will see them. Mm-hmm. And that's the true truth for boys and men, right? Yes, boys, girls, women, men, everybody. And, you know, it's just a matter of us. It's so funny. Like, we want to fit in and conform and not make waves, yet we all want to, like, make a splash and be our own person and and change the world in our own way. So it's like these two different things that are happening all at the same time. Our ego is like, don't put yourself out there. Mm -hmm. And then our ego is also saying, be great. Yeah, you know? stand out. So that's the paradox of life. I mean, that's what Zen is. You know, for those of you who have been listening a long time, you know this. But why we have this pod, why this podcast is called Zen Parenting Radio is because of the yin and the yang of everything. Is that the paradox of life is don't look at me. Why aren't you looking at me? That's what we all experience. But I think f- for those of us who are adults, we've gone through this enough that we start to find maybe not a hundred percent healthy balance, but we find a way through it. But I think for teenage girls and for that matter 
you know, teenage boys, they're just having these experiences for the first time where they're like, don't look at me, look at me. And, you know, the bottom line of it is, is that how do we support them? And, and I put this word on purpose. How do we encourage them to practice showing up? Because to ask a teenager to go out there and just be their true, authentic selves in every single moment does not feel safe to them. And it doesn't feel safe to me as a 48-year-old man. Correct. So practicing showing up is in different in certain situations, do state your opinion. Do say what you need. Um, tell a story that's real. Like practice it. And you might find, because probably my favorite part of this, um, this one that I wrote is if if they offer false impressions, it makes sense why relationships feel false. Sure. Right? It's built on inauthenticity. Correct. You, if you are offering something false, then what you are going to get back is falseness. So for those of us who want deep, authentic relationships with people, if we're giving them a pretend part of ourselves, Correct. and it's safer to be pretend because we don't have to put ourselves out there and it's easier and it's less taxing. It takes less emotional energy, but it also brings you back to where you started, which is an inauthentic place. Well, to be focused on your words, it feels safer, but it's actually more unsafe. Right, yeah. So Short term, it's safer because right. you don't have to deal with it in the moment, this discomfort of being vulnerable or whatever it is. Yeah. But in the end, it's the riskiest thing you could do is to be safe. Absolutely. So if you are interested in getting Zen Parenting Moments and you don't already, go to zenparentingradio.com and you'll see at the top that you can easily subscribe. They just come on Tuesday and Friday. That's right. And um, we do this thing called Zen Talks. It's on mm -hmm. Team Zen. We're actually doing one today at high noon. High noon. Usually things at high noon end up with like a duel. High noon central time. High noon central time. But don't you think whenever you think of high noon, you think of like a duel in the old west? Sure. But we're not having a duel, I don't think. Thank goodness. We're having a Zen talk with Michelle Accard, who wrote this book called 14 Talks by Age 14. So if you're listening to this on Tuesday morning, March 2nd, sign up. It's free for the first month. And just listen in to our friend Michelle help and support a team that we have. Yeah, well, she'll answer questions about her new book. It just came out last week, so it's like hot off the press. That's right. All right, so boundaries. And today, I think next week, we're going to talk about external boundaries. Yes. Because Kathy and I watched this five-minute YouTube clip that you showed me last night, sweetie. It was really powerful, but I think that was more about external, right? Yeah, it is. It's like... So um, let's do that next week. Okay. So just so you understand what we're saying, like when we're talking about boundaries, like we said at the beginning, it's a, it's layered. And some boundaries are more about how we show up in what we say to people. And it's more of an experience of like outward decisions. Yeah. Okay. What Todd and I are going to talk about today is the internal boundaries, which we're going to use the word enmeshment, okay? Now, real quick, you say, whenever anybody says that word to me, uh -huh. I think it's spelled like I-M-M, -M, but it's enmeshment. Enmeshment. E-N-M, mm -hmm. not that it matters, but that's always, I've always been mistaken about that word. It's called enmeshment. Enmeshment. Okay. And it is a clinical word. It is used in family ther theory, um, and it is understood that it can happen in families and cause a, um, like makes personal boundaries unclear. Okay. That's basically what happens. They, they're too, personal boundaries become too permeable and we start to lose ourselves in some kind of family dynamic. Wikipedia says it's a concept by this guy named Salvador Mnuchin. I don't know. To describe families where personal boundaries are diffused, subsystems are undifferentiated and over-concern for others leads to a loss of autonomous development. It's a lot so of big that, words. That's clinical language, yeah. which for those of you who that makes sense, that's great. But really what it is, is boundaries are crossed internally. And and, and again, it shows up externally. This is all interconnected. But what Todd and I are going to talk about is how this feels mm -hmm. when your boundaries are not clear. Our internal process exactly. of boundaries, whether they're inside or outside. But we're going to talk about what happens inside of us when a boundary is crossed, either our own or you cross somebody else's or whatever. Correct. Well, and how that makes, how that feels within a family and how if we grew up with a certain level of enmeshment, like everything else, there's gradations, mm -hmm. right? There's the family that is so enmeshed that, that everybody can't think for themselves at all. Mm -hmm. And then there's some where, you know, there's some 
autonomy, that mm. people feel like they're their own person, but there's certain levels or layers that there's enmeshment. They or, feel topics, like, or, or topics. Or specific situations. That you can't break away from, yeah. where it feels like that having a different opinion would completely crash the family unit. Mm. <laughs> so let's talk about each of these. I'll go through them and then you can, you know, we can stop. Sure. So just so we have an understanding of what enmeshment can look like. I'll start with that emotions can become really blurred. You can confuse your emotions with other people's emotions. Hmm. Okay. So now let me, let me be clear because this show is very, um, awesome. <laughs> we focus on Western and Eastern and we do focus on clinical concepts and psychology and ways that some treatment ther- theory, but I'm not right now. I'm just talking about how to understand this word and I don't want you guys to like say, oh, my emotions become blurred. I'm enmeshed. Mm. Don't don't label yourself with this. Let's talk about what this looks and feels like and understand that it's not about being diagnosed right now. What this is is about how kind of looking at your own boundaries and figuring out, do I have some some variation? Are there of some that? attributes to um, can I can I find myself enmeshed? In, in at one volume or Correct. one area yes. or, you know, just because I might be a little enmeshed with my brother about that, but with something else with my brother, I might not be enmeshed at all. And a clinician would never say you're a little, I mean, yeah. maybe some would, but it, it, you know, it really is a clinical term. And right now we're kind of just wading through the term. Yeah. We're not doing black and white. No. We're not doing binary. I'm we're not doing, treating you. Yeah. This is not treatment and this is not labeling. So you just fix us, please. <laughs> okay. My so, because the truth is, Anybody who has a child that they feel close to, their emotions are going to get blurred. Mm. Like when the child comes home and is sad because their friends blew them off or they didn't make a team, you're going to feel sad. And that doesn't mean you're unhealthy in enmeshment. That means that you're a human being who has mirror neurons and you love this person in front of you. Mm -hmm. But it can be, I think where, I think the word that's really powerful is confusing your emotions with the other people. Okay. Like where you don't know where you end and the other person begins. And this can show up more extreme with things like where you really believe your child is an extension of you. Yeah. You know, where if they don't make a team, you feel crushed because you need them to be on the team or else you don't know who you are. Well, my example is, um, you know, let's say one of my kids is having a really bad day. It's hard for me sometimes to have a really good day when they're having a really bad day. It's just I feel like it's human psychology behavior. It's like, of course... It's hard for me to rise above and be like, oh, sorry, you're having a bad day, but my day's going wonderful. Like, that's not easy to do. And there's a process in there of finding a healthy balance of that coming down to a level, bringing yourself to the level where they are is is empathetic, but it's an unhealthy empathy where basically what you're doing is you're tapping into the way they are feeling. And then you're getting so drawn into it that both of you live in that dark place. And I'm raising my hand right now. And not that I do that all the time, but there, I can, I can cite multiple examples from the last seven days that I have done that. Sure. And it's hard for me to, you know, be a little higher energy than, than it's harder for me to bring them up. Not that I even want to bring them up let them be in their sadness and let them express it. But if I'm down in the drudge with them, that's not really a good thing. Exactly. And there is this place, like the the binary is, well, I either stay in my awesome mood or I go down with them. And there's a place in in between where you empathize Mm -hmm. with how they feel or you have a sense of compassion because we're all human and we understand that something that's happened to them maybe we've experienced or we just can relate. We can feel it. And, and if, wow, if it happened to us too, when we were young, then it's even more of a yeah, trigger, right? Because that's something we haven't resolved in our youth. Exactly. So just, we get reactive. So then it. sometimes we go down in the dumps with them, but we're really not with them. We're in our own crap. Yeah. So this gets really messy. But I think the place in between is you don't have to be like, well, I'm in a good mood. So forget you, but you can be like, the language you and I used to use in early Zen parenting um, episodes, like in our first couple of years, was be the ladder for them. Mm. Is if you go down there, then there's no ladder for them to climb out. Mm-hmm. Is if you can empathize and and hear them and not try and change their mood, but be present, then they have a way to climb out of it, not because of you, 
not because you talk them out of it, because you don't want to talk people out of feelings, but because you were just present and strong. And that's a practice. Like, that's not easy. Um, but it, it isn't impossible. Uh, like, I, I was just listening to a podcast the other day, and they were, you know, talking about this. And really, the goal with kids is when they're in a dark place, or they're feeling overwhelmed, or they're sad, or they're having, or they're grieving, is you want to teach them to sit with that. And so how do you sit with it without taking it on? Mm -hmm. So the practice is really, can you sit in it and not talk them out of it? One of my skill sets is I can reframe things and kind of talk people out of things. And I have to be really careful to not make someone escape Mm. their emotion before they've really gained something. Well, and that's where I've been lately. And I don't, I'm a work in progress, just like the rest of us. But lately, I've been saying things to the girls like, I don't know if I said this to girls, I've said it in my head. And I've said it on some coaching sessions where I've had guys and they're like, Oh, I'm mad, or I'm sad, or I'm afraid. And I'm more like, two years ago, or 10 years, I'd be like, Okay, so let's go with positive psychology and think how we can get rid of your bad mood or whatever. Right. And now I'm honestly, I honestly say either embrace it or turn towards it. Because my the story I make up is if I can help somebody turn towards it and be able to express it in a healthy way, that's the best thing to move on, not to pretend it doesn't exist. Well, I, I need to shape two things you said. Number okay. one, positive psychology doesn't mean turn away from negative feelings. That shows you my ignorance on what positive psychology teaches. Positive psychology means when you are having challenges, don't forget about what's working. Yeah. It doesn't say turn away from negative feelings. Okay. So I just want to make sure because okay. it gets a bad rap. Sure. And positive psychology is actually very... Um, it's a wonderful source of inspiration and reminder when you're struggling or grieving that it's okay to struggle and grieve, but don't forget that the sun is out. Yeah. That's all positive psychology is. The other thing that you said is that, because I hear you say to the girls sometimes, like, just be sad, turn mm -hmm. towards your sadness. What that can feel like, even though you're right, is that you're heading them toward a brick wall mm. versus sadness. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's one of those things that we feel. There's a, there's a sadness is a piece of something bigger. Remember the thing we read at dinner the other night about the salt in the glass? Um, remind me. So if, I hope I can do it justice. It's about uh, two monks, always a good story about monks, yeah. right? They're, all Zen parables are about monks. And one monk is in pain and really struggling with pain. And the other monk says, you know, if your salt is your, is pain, pour salt into a glass and he does and he pours salt into a glass and then he drinks and he says now drink the water and it tastes salty right like if you pour it into a glass it tastes salty he said now go pour that salt which is a representation of your pain into a lake mm. and he pours it into the salt into a lake and he says now drink the lake water and it doesn't taste like salt because his pain has been put into something a bigger container mm -hmm. which is i i feel pain but there's all sorts of hope. There's tools. There's um, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And so you're not saying the pain doesn't exist. You're saying give it a bigger container and have a new perspective. And what's interesting, so in that, I, I think that's a really powerful story because in this example, the salt for, let's say I'm in pain, I'm angry, whatever it is, and I'm only focusing on that anger in this Correct. moment. I am angry. I don't have anger inside of me. I am angry. So I'm, I'm, I'm defining myself as who, who is Todd? Todd is an angry person. And in your example, when you say, um, you know, when you drink uh, the salt water out of a cup, then that's all you taste. Mm -hmm. And when you give it to the lake, then you can barely taste Right. And but it's still there. It's still there. And what I, what Todd is in that moment of anger, Todd is a full human being with a whole range of all these expansive things that's possible. And, and my, my body, my mind, my spirit, my soul represents the lake. Correct. And we can be angry as long as we look at it through the lens of that is not who we are. So I am, so it wouldn't be Todd is angry. It is Todd is having an angry feeling. Todd much is better, much, much better. So the other thing is, is when you say to the girls, yeah, sadness, turn toward the sadness, you're basically saying, drink the glass of salt water. Hmm. And so yeah, yeah. instead it's sadness. Yes, that is a part of the day that yeah. you had. 
and sitting in it without being like, yeah, go toward it, go toward it. It's more accepted. And I feel like my, I'm a pendulum. I'm, I've gone from one side, like run away from the sadness as fast as you can, get outside, do run or eat healthy. And, and now I'm the pendulum gone drink all the, the way. Now yeah. I'm saying drink the salt. Right. And the answer is somewhere in between. Exactly. So like you don't, but I, what I watch is when you say that to the girls, I watch their face and it sounds hopeless where you're like, yeah, sadness, you know, look toward the sadness. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, shit, I don't want to look toward, that doesn't sound good. You also don't want to say sadness is bad. Mm-hmm. Run away from the sadness. What you're saying is you can sit with the sadness, but remember you're a lake. It, you know, I shared this on last week's Zen talk, but that Jeff Foster quote, I think bears repeating the ang- the sadness or the anger in me doesn't need to be healed. It needs to be held. Right. And that's another way of explaining exactly what sure. we're talking about. Absolutely. We don't need to heal our sadness. We don't need to heal our anger or our fear or our joy. We need to hold it. Well, and this is why I really wanted to focus on your definition, which I now know you get, of positive psychology is positive psychology is a version of seeing the lake. Yeah. So like mm. positive psychology doesn't say negativity is bad. Yeah. It says, how do you hold it in a lake instead of a glass? Because if you realize, if you have practices, positive psychology is, a, is very proactive and a little reactive, but the proactive is... Do you make a list of things you're grateful for every day? Are you expanding your neurobiology to see what's working? That's the proactive. And then the reactive is when I'm sad, how do I look around and remember that this is really sadness, but that I do have a container to hold it? Mm -hmm. Because if I feel like I have a cracked glass or no glass at all, then I think I am sadness and I'm not. So another thing I say to our kids when, and it's so funny, like, our kids. Like I should be saying this to myself. Forget about right. my kids. We're, we practice what we need on our yeah. kids. Mm-hmm. And, but the other thing I say that I think works is it's a wave comes in sure. and goes out. And they, they seem to get that. It doesn't feel good in the moment because when I'm in terror, which is my word for when I have the scary feelings from childhood, sure. <laughs> that's my word is terror. You saying it's a wave I'm still feeling terror, but there is a part of me that gives me that Mm lakeish experience, which is, oh yeah, that's right. This, just like everything else, this will fade. Now, why people struggle with that is this is true for joy too, Mm. is you have to remember the joy is also a wave, but that gives you permission to appreciate it because it does come and go. Yeah. So, so any, so there's like, I have 20 things here. So shoot, just go on. Um, After the next one, I want to talk about... um, Something else, but go ahead. And by the way, everybody, we're not going to go through all 20. I just wanted Todd to know there's a bunch. <laughs> be a six hour. <laughs> I know everyone's like, uh, should I listen to Give me this? another. So, when, so we're talking about enmeshment again. Mm-hmm. So that was about emotions becoming blurred. Now we're going to talk about how sometimes what enmeshment can feel like internally is that the cost of our own individuality feels too high. We, we believe that different beliefs may produce possible negative outcomes. Like, and I think for the parents who are listening to this, maybe instead of thinking about your parenting with your kids, think about your own experience with your parents. Were there things that you were unwilling to cross a line? And I'm not talking about like discipline and rules. I'm talking about like belief systems. The, the cost was too high to disagree with the family structure. And I think we all have a version. I know I do. Like when I think about my family, um, and, and a lot of times enmeshment is very unconscious. Mm. Like parents aren't like trying to hurt us or like intentionally trying to harm us. Again, they're passing down what they've learned, which is what our family thinks is this. You know, you are a part of this family and this is what we do. Go ahead. So the examples I think of when you say that is politics, religion, uh-huh. White Sox, Cubs. Uh-huh. You know, in this family, we're Republicans. Mm-hmm. In this family, we're White Sox fans. Uh-huh. Is that kind of what you're talking those about? Those are very like, those are good examples where people can grab onto them. But sometimes it's things like I, um, and it could also be about things that can be really significant for, uh, you know, your autonomy or your individuality, like sexuality and gender, mm-hmm. you know, like that is just feels like individuating at this point, whatever age I am with my family feels the cost is way too high because I feel like they will not, I will not be loved or I will not be part of this family anymore. Mm-hmm. And for some kids, that is true. 
like for some kids, I don't know if you guys heard our podcast last week with JC and Edgar and Grace. Thank you for all of the uh, emails that have been sent, not only to us, but JC got a ton of DMs, mm-hmm. you know, herself. So thank you for that. But, you know, they told stories of pretty much having acceptance. You know, Edgar had a few, you know, challenges, but for the most part, acceptance. But a lot of kids don't. Like there's not, so the cost of individuality feels too high. So it can be that, but it can also be things like, I don't agree with your worldview, mm. not just about politics, but that, you know, it could be, I guess, I guess they all kind of fall under the same thing. Well, we had somebody on our Zen talk last week where, um, the, our Zen talk member, I assume is a liberal or a Democrat and her son, who's I think 17 or 18, mm-hmm. Uh, loves Donald Trump uh-huh. and she's struggling with that. So mm-hmm. talk about the cost of individuality is not too high in that family because he's coming out with his individuality. Well, right. And and the question then is, this gets to a different place, is, is that a healthy thing, meaning he's finding himself or is that a rebellious thing and that he's saying, mom, you want me to think like you, therefore I'm going to think the opposite to piss you off. Yeah. So there's different, it's not as clean sure. cut. So- Basically, I think I felt it with, you know, it, it's basically comes down to conforming, mm-hmm. right? That the the mo- the healthiest thing we can do as parents, you know, we talk about roots and wings, right? And that we want to give our kids a, se- a base. We want to give them a secure attachment and a base where they feel confident that there are people that love them and they're coming from a place where they can grow as a healthy seed, mm-hmm. But then as they get older, the goal is to help them fly on their own. It's not to keep telling them how to be or who to be. It's to say, as parents, we turn it around and we say, who are you? Mm -hmm. Like instead of telling them who we are, we ask them who they are. And that starts really early. Like one of the things that girls, uh, especially Cameron always brings up, is one of the things she loves about her childhood is that she picked out her own clothes. And we... from the time they were about two or three, we were just like, yeah, wear what you want, pick out your own clothes. Obviously, if they needed help putting things on, we would. It wasn't, we weren't demanding that. We just were like, go ahead. Yeah, they got to choose. You got to choose. And it never matched. Um, One daughter wore her coat backwards on purpose every day. Um, Sometimes they wore tights and pants and sometimes they wore, like, it it was a little nutty. But they... She really likes that mm. as part of her history. Oh, she, really? Cameron? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She talks about it all the time. Oh, wow. She's like, I'm glad you did that. Um, she just feels like it helped her know what her own personal style was. Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of, that's a little piece yeah, of one who small are example. You? Yeah. Right. And, and so it's like, how do you, how do we look at them and trust that they know who they want to become mm-hmm. without imposing too much? This is who I want you to be. Yeah. Okay. So, if you are imposing, that is a form of enmeshment. It can be, depending mm, on how... Never thought about it that way. Exactly. But. Where you're saying enmeshment is where the boundaries are are unclear. So if you... It, the boundaries are unclear. The parent is saying, I think you're a part of me. Mm-hmm. So you have to look a certain way and act a certain way because we are not two different individuals. We are family members. Yeah. And the truth is you are two different individuals. The minute they show up. So number three, you will appreciate this one. There is a role for you to fill. Hmm. Yes, I would do appreciate that. I am a hero. Todd needs to come on down. I'm, I am a... So the role that I fill in uh-huh. my in my birth... I say fam, birth family, but most people call it family of origin. Uh-huh. Not in every way, but in many ways is I am the hero. Uh-huh. I am the savior. Uh-huh. I am the mediator. Uh-huh. I am the one who brings calm uh-huh. um, between parents. One of my parents is deceased, but the other one's still around between siblings, between siblings and parents. And I am realizing right now in my 48-year-old self is I really want to shed that, I call it a persona. I want to shed that persona because I don't think it really did a whole lot. I didn't think it, it didn't do a whole lot of good in the first place. So, well, it protected you when you were a kid. So make sure you let your inner kid know that he did the best he could with that, that really, even though maybe the deeper belief systems were not correct, mm-hmm. that he really did 
was able to create a sense of safety for himself in your home with that role. Yes. It, my problem is I'm still acting as if I'm seven years old, Correct. having to mediate between people that are adults. Are adults. So yeah, that one lands really hard for me. And my role, um, and I and I still have this role in a lot of places, um, and this is a boundary I'm working on. You know, we're talking about internal boundaries. Is I feel like it's my job to feel with people, for people, and help them with their feelings and help them negotiate their feelings and then help them reframe their feelings. <laughs> so it's a lot of work. That's a lot that's of work. That's a heavy load. It is. And I, my boundaries get really confusing because I really sometimes can't tell what's mine and what's there, what's theirs. And I was telling Todd the other day that I have, sometimes I have an experience, like I, I get migraines and sometimes I'll be in like, significant pain, right? And I will be, even within that pain, I will be more worried about other people's feelings around me. Like I will forget my pain because I'm so focused on what everybody else is feeling. And that tells me my boundaries are are really not good in Which that moment. Which makes you a loving and overly compassionate person. But un, that's but not healthy boundaries. I'm about to go through that. Okay, good. Overly compassionate. Think about the amount of energy that you have to expend. It's hard enough for us to manage our own emotions. Right. Can you imagine how exhausting? Actually, you don't yes, need I, to. I can't. You don't need to imagine. You live it. <laughs> yeah. You live in this world. It is such a compromise of our energy. And if we're going to be the person that we want to be for our loved ones and our friends is we need to have a full gas tank. So you are over empathizing in many ways. And, and in some ways I am too with my hero energy. So, and the thing is, it doesn't matter if it's, if it's being overly empathic or me being a hero or even like the black sheep in the family, right? That has a cost to it too. It like does. all of these examples we're, we're giving have a cost of our energy to the world. And these are what we're talking about with internal boundaries, because I have worked really hard on external boundaries, mm -hmm. but meaning that I, I can say no. And I do, I have feel like I've individuated in the last 20 years where I really am clear about who I am versus where I came from and all those kind of things. So on the outside, you may say, well, Kathy, your boundaries are, are really clear and you know, you're okay with disappointing people, but internally yeah. I'm still struggling, um, I'm still practicing healthy boundaries and I can vocalize it with Todd. I can share it with my therapist. I'm saying it out loud right now, but it doesn't mean that my brain um, and my, I switch onto autopilot really quick. And because when someone's sad, I really can do good things for them. So part of me feels like I'm, if I don't switch that switch on, I'm selfish yeah. because I could make them feel better really quick and, and even feel better. I don't talk people out of their emotions, but I can sit with people in their emotion and help them even understand sadness from a different perspective. So why, if I don't do it, then I'm withholding something they need. That's, yeah. I'm, I'm talking you through my thinking. Yeah, no, I hear that. And something they need means that they can't do it on their own. They need Kathy's help right. in order to get better, which may or may not be true. Yeah. It could be that your help makes it, I'm just making something up. Yeah. Makes it, so let me come up with a really benign example. Okay. And you tell me. Okay. Let's say it's 10 years ago and it's when you had to, you were invited to do a bake sale for school, right. like your nightmare. PTA. PTA. Mm -hmm. Um, your external boundaries, I think in that moment was to say no. Right. I've, I've been working on those for 20 years. My yeah. question to you is when you said no to the amazing PTA president who asked you to pitch in and you said no, you did a good job with your external boundaries. Right. My question is, with an example as benign as a bake sale, would your internal boundaries be no. conflicted or were you, was that a clear no, both externally and internally? Clear. And inter I mean, it, it's hard to remember. I obviously had to practice and sit with the discomfort of saying no or, or disappointing people, but I've practiced that so much that that isn't hard for me mm -hmm. anymore. As you know, I say no in emails all the time. I say no, you know, like I, I can do that with clarity. My boundaries get messed up with people I really love and care about. Mm, that's your next step of your growth. Exactly. You can do it to the PTA present, sure. but can you do it to this person who's really important in your life? And 
oftentimes with clients, I've, I've gotten better there too, as, as I've shared before, I used to not take individual clients because my boundaries were so permeable. Now I can, and I don't mean clients who are listening that I don't love and care about you. What I mean is I have created a professional boundary, but when it comes to family and friends, I still have a very, and it's because that's where I learned it, right? Mm -hmm. In family and friends, like it, professionally, I can do one thing, and and with my students, I can do another thing. But with people, I in my immediate this circle. is the graduate level course right. of what we're talking about. You could do it for it's three hundred three. Mm-hmm. You can do it with the uh, with these people who you don't really care much about. So now the universe is saying, try this try on. Try this, size. right? Exactly. And it's and I have appreciated Todd and I have been having these conversations lately. That's why we're talking about boundaries this month. I've appreciated shining a light on where I'm struggling because it's giving it's giving me relief because I'm seeing how many of my challenges come from this same corner of my mind. And if I can shine some light there, because really what I need to know is what I always tell my clients, which is other people around you are just as resilient as you are. Mm-hmm. You are not keeping people alive. Mm-hmm. You think you are, yep. but you're not. And that they can do it with your support, but they're not doing it because of you. They have the internal mechanisms and you're just there as a support system and you don't need to give every aspect of your being to them. Like you don't have to give away your life force. You know and what I mean? And when you over help you're not giving your giving them your best. And I'm, I, I get these eye statements. Sometimes when I'm trying to help somebody in my life and I'm thinking of somebody in particular yeah, and I am over helping, not letting this individual stand on their own two feet, I'm not helping them nearly as, as much as I think I am. Right. It's It comes from this below the line place. Do you know what I right. mean? Right. Well, and then it becomes, let's go back to talking about boundaries overall. And one of the quotes, one of, and this is from Brene Brown, but empathy without boundaries is not empathy. Mm. And generosity without boundaries is not generosity. Why? Because if you don't have boundaries, you will give and give and feel resentful of the person that you're giving to. Therefore, you're not empathetic. You are, you're resentful. Mm-hmm. And so you need to realize that boundaries are actually how you end up being a more empathetic, compassionate person. And boundaries are also how you be you maintain a generous disposition. Because if you are thinking, I martyr myself, I give myself away, aren't I amazing? No, you're just resentful and not boundaried. As we're kind of going through this conversation, I think I, at least I'm speaking to the people who show up in the way that you and I are talking about showing up with. And what I mean by that is we don't say no enough. We overshare, we overhelp, we hero people. I just wonder if the same is true because there's probably a whole nother section of people, myself included, where um, where I am the one who who pushes past somebody's boundaries. You know, instead of me being the person who is trying to overhelp, sometimes I'm the one who somebody puts up a boundary and I break on through and try to get, get their energy anyways. Give me an example. I'm trying to think like, uh, let's use the bake sale example. You say no. And the lady, whoever it is, or the guy, the PTA president pushes through your boundary and say, Hey, you know what? I really, really need you to do it. So in other words, they're on the other side not recognizing that you just put up a boundary right. and they're just going through it. I just right. wonder and if- that's and that is a question of that has nothing to do with me. That's about them. Mm-hmm. And I can still maintain a boundary and continue to say no. And you know, some people say things like no is a a sentence, is mm. it's a complete sentence. And I don't always agree with that because I think whenever I'm saying no to somebody, I can say you can always use you don't have to make things up, but you can say, you know what? Um, that's not going to work for me. I'm going to have to say no. Um, maybe next time when you're working on, cause I have said to organize, I don't have to do this anymore. My kids are a lot older, but I have said to organizations or committees, I, I'm not going to do that, but I would be willing to give a talk or to share some books or to like, I will help. Um, and so I know that people like that. No is a, but a how many sense. people really, when someone says, will you do this? We say no. It's almost like you're just doing that to be confrontational. Yeah. Like we can be generous in spirit and still have a boundary. Yeah. Can you give a loving no? We can give a loving no. And we, and it's not excuses. It's language. I, I got the best um, compliment this week 
from somebody who has been getting Zen parenting moments since the beginning. And she said, thank you for choosing words. I can't remember exactly what it said. She said, I just can tell by what you're writing that you're really thoughtful about the words you choose, Mm. which is the best compliment I can get because she's right. Mm. (laughs) Like I try and write something difficult without offending anyone. And now I can't control whether or not someone still may get offended, but I will tell you that I've put thought into it, that I see all the sides and say, how do I say this so everybody feels included and Mm. they feel like they belong, Mm. but I can still talk about this difficult topic. The reason I say that is I feel like we can do that with people when setting boundaries. We can say, you know, I'm going to love myself and I'm going to love you, but I'm still going to say no. Mm -hmm. Like instead of no, and how dare you ask me and knows my, you know, what is that? (laughs) <laughs> of course. Speaking of boundaries, <laughs> that's hilarious. And I have my ringer off. That's so frustrating. Well, sometimes he's busting through those he's boundaries. He's busting through those boundaries. Um, so anyway, Todd, let's move on just to one more. One more. Okay. And then we got to go. So um, let's see. There's so many. Sweetie, pick the best one. Okay. Um, let's see. Okay, how about this? Because we can get into this more, and we're already talking about this, uh, but we'll get into it more next week when we talk about external boundaries or go in a different direction. We can tell that there is boundary issues or enmeshment if guilt, shame, and anxiety arise from meeting your own personal needs in place of providing emotional support to your partner, child, or family member. I need you to say it again because I'm writing these down. Okay. So guilt, shame, and anxiety arise from meeting your personal needs versus providing intense emotional support to your partner, family member, or child. Okay. So basically what that means is that you're like, okay, Todd and Kathy, I'll practice boundaries. Um, And then there's so much guilt, shame, and anxiety about setting a boundary mm. that it's almost undoable. So the word that comes to me when you say that is sometimes people, like boundaries, what a wonderful concept. People can weaponize the idea of boundaries. Is that kind of what you're getting at uh, or no? Like, sorry, I'm setting a boundary, so nothing I can do to help you out. Well, I'm actually talking about the other way okay. that even though that is that is a truth. Yeah. People can do that and they can say, what? I'm just setting a boundary. Yeah, I'm right. treating you like crap. Okay. So you meant something different. So help I me. meant that when, so say that they're listening to this and someone's like, okay, I'm going to go home and be a little more boundaried um, when it comes to other people's emotions. And then as soon as we do something different, we feel so much guilt, shame, and anxiety. It almost feels like there's no way we can continue to do this because we're martyrs. So what you're saying is this is an internal process internal. inside of me. Correct. So I set a boundary on my buddy who wants to go have coffee every Tuesday for the next 10 Tuesdays. And I, you say no. I say no, and then I start, start feeling guilty or Horrible. shameful. And Got you it. feel like you need to text him yeah. and explain mm-hmm. and over-explain and say, but I'll do it next week or say, I should have said yes. And the anxiety and the guilt and the shame and and let's just for so we can you know map these words out guilt means i made a mistake shame means i am a mistake anxiety means the feelings of discomfort of worry about the past or worry about the future that we're not in the present we're worried about something that has happened or something that could happen mm. so basically what that means is that we set an internal boundary or we try and practice something different but we get flooded with guilt, shame, and or anxiety, or one of the above. And so there is a practice, that in itself though is another practice where guilt, I made a mistake. The question is, did you? Or is this just uncomfortable because this is new? Shame, I'm a horrible family member, I'm a horrible person, are you? Mm. Or are you breaking a pattern where you are wanting to show up for yourself just as much so you can be a full cup and give of yourself and anxiety about what could happen, what could change, there there could be a change. Mm. Like I, you guys, I put a chart on, on Team Zen on our Facebook page, on our Team Zen Facebook page that said, um, it was from Su- Susan David who talks about emotional agility and it like had this chart of where it had this like small amount where it said staying stuck is this difficult and it had like a small amount, it was like a you know chart and then it said, actually creating change and like, you know, personal growth is this difficult. It's easier to stay stuck. 
always, yeah. it's always easier to do what you've always done. Mm-hmm. Now it's painful in that you don't grow and that you don't learn and that you stay stuck with the same pain. But personal growth is uncomfortable. Setting a boundary is uncomfortable. I But setting a boundary, we do need to question the shame and the guilt and the anxiety. It, question it, not that it showed up, but that we, that's a yet another layer we need to work on. Yeah. You know, like the boundary is the first step. And then we got to deal with the feelings that show up and talk through them, journal about them. Well, I was going to say this about 10 minutes ago. I don't know if it'll still uh, make sense, but, you know, so we are all on, you know, call it a, a, a scale of boundaries. Some of us are not boundaried enough. Some of us have, have walls up, so we don't let anybody in. Right. So the first step is just to be aware where you are in, in this relationship, in this situation, in this family, whatever it is. First step is, wow, where where are my boundaries? Right. And are they in a healthy place? And then for me, the second step is, can I accept myself for, you know, first, you, you, can't, you can't transform through something unless you're aware of it and you can accept yourself for not doing it perfectly. So if, the, if anybody's listening, like, okay, great, what do I do with this information? Figure out where you are. Because mm-hmm. most of the time, this goes... Un, in our subconscious or maybe beyond our conscious, we just act from this place without even knowing it. So mm-hmm. ask yourself, is this a healthy boundary with this person, with this situation? And then the second thing is kind of this goes to the guilt and the shame. Can you accept the fact that, yeah, maybe the, maybe you're too, too, the walls are too, too high to let somebody else in, or you're just oversharing kind of like the way Kathy mentioned that she has some circumstances like that for herself. So locate yourself where you are in the boundary, and then can you accept yourself for not doing it perfectly? Yeah, and on that note, I would say that realize that some of these things are really foundational. Like if I were to make boundaries in my life, this big building that needed to come down, like a structure, an unhealthy structure that need to come down, I have removed a lot of walls already. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of the bricks have come out. Um, It's like... It, you know, the a lot of the building has been demolished, but there's still some foundational hardware at the bottom that I'm having a hard time, you know, shifting that that they are so foundational in in who I am or how I was raised or the role I played in my family that it's very nuanced. Yeah. And I think if I could say the reason that I always get a little worried about using clinical words when we're having a, you know, on Zen Parenting Radio, I like bringing them in so people understand what they mean. But I also worry about people labeling themselves of like, I'm an enmeshed person. Right. You got to realize there's nuance with enmeshment that it's sometimes like my enmeshment with my family 20 years ago was much worse than now, but there's still there's still these foundational elements that are there and they show up. And sometimes it takes me days or weeks to look back and go, whoa, I was so in that, that I couldn't see out. And that doesn't mean we failed. It means it's yet another practice. Another opportunity. And and that it never ends, you know, and that my bottom line, like the vision board I'm making around this issue of boundaries is trust that others have the internal guidance they need, that any kind of resilience you have or grace that you've been given mm. or intuitive hits or support from you know the God or universe, they have that too. So if you think you're really fixing them, you're not. They have, you're almost like sidetracking the process. And you or I, because I hero this um, certain relationships a lot, I co-created this. Yeah, it's so, so easy did I. for me mm-hmm. to blame whomever for me being uh, an overhelper, but I am as responsible for this situation as the person who's receiving the help. Well, and let me say to your seven-year-old boy, you did co-create this, but you did that to survive. Yes. But what you have done in adulthood is you've perpetuated the co-creation where now we never want to like slam our kid who figured out how to survive a home, right? Like whatever method we needed to get through, amen. But perpetuating the process now that we're not in that situation anymore, that's the challenge. Yeah. So that's, okay. that's it for So boundaries. there's a few uh, promos that I want to do, okay. um, sort of men living related. So I have this men's group called Men Living and um, everything that Kathy and I have talked about today, if you're listening to this on your phone, you can just scroll up on the notes or down, whichever way it is, and you can sign up for Kathy's Zen Parenting Moment. You can sign up for Team Zen and you can sign up for men living. Um, we have um, a speaker series coming up and Alexa James from National Alliance of Mental Illness is speaking to our organization 
which is open to all genders. Great. So men and women, moms and dads can join and listen to Alexa James uh, do her thing. We've actually had her on before. She's really, really an amazing um, proponent of mental wellness. And then uh, Kathy Kasani Adams is going to be speaking on the speaker series on ah, April 12th. Lovely. I'm not quite sure what the topic is, but it's going to be something about gender equity, I believe. Okay. Well, will you ask the men living uh, community? What they're most interested in? No, I just wanted I want okay. to tell them what to do. Okay, I will. I I will make it exciting what, and interesting, and and hopefully a lot of um, moms and wives and uh, show up to that partners. too. Partners, partners, so we can have a lot of different uh, voices on that Love call. That it would be exciting. And then uh, the other thing is, I had a um, a chemistry session with a client. That's what I call it, the intake session. I uh-huh. guess you call it. And he got on because his wife listens to the show and he's like, well, you just call Todd because, and it wasn't a husband wife stuff. It was parenting stuff. Uh, so he reached out to me and we had our, our intake session or whatever it is. So I'm inviting if there's any, cause most of our listeners are moms and wives, uh, that if you want your partner, if you happen to have a, a partner who is a male, uh, reach out to me. It's free. The 30 minute intake session's free. And all we do is work on parenting relationship stuff. So I invite you to uh, go to my website, which is toddadamscoaching.com. And that's also if you just scroll up on the notes. So Absolutely. And then uh, Jeremy Kraft, he's a bald-headed beauty, painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area, 630-956-1800, avidco.net. Oh, and uh, I forgot to say, When Harry Met Sally, tomorrow. <gasps> Yes, we did uh, new pop culturing when Harry met Sally. No, none of our kids wanted to do that with us. No. And they said not, it's too old for them. And they're them. not going to want to do what we're doing next time, which is Fatal Attraction. Yeah, I choose to not do Fatal Attraction and have mm-hmm. my I'm not going to be ignored, Dan. <laughs> uh, so enjoy pop culturing. We've done about, I don't know, 40 or 50 of those things. Yeah, subscribe to pop culturing in your podcast app. It's fun. Uh, keep trucking, everybody. Adios. Thanks for listening, everyone. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And feel free to leave a five-star review. It helps people find us. The best part of what we do is getting to spend time with our listeners in an awesome community of parents who have come together over at Team Zen. Team Zen is a great opportunity to connect as much as you want with a group of like-minded parents, and you'll even get exclusive content from Kathy and me. Find out more about Team Zen on our site, zenparentingradio.com. We know your inbox needs more hopeful and helpful info, so sign up for the Zen Parenting Moment. Two times a week, you'll receive a quick read that will boost your day and improve your outlook. Sign up at zenparentingradio.com. While men and women, moms and dads, parents and non-parents are all welcome here at ZPR, we know most of our followers are female and moms. So today we're shouting out an opportunity that's just for the guys. Men Living creates opportunities for men to gather together to give and get support and build friendship. I am one of the founders of the group, and you'll find me every week helping facilitate our virtual meeting on Wednesday nights at 7.30. Interested or want to share the details with someone you love? You can find the Zoom link at menliving.org. Ready for a Gen X view of personal growth? Join us for Pop Culturing, our podcast filled with humor, fun, and a characteristic emphasis on self-awareness as we explore movies, TV, and pop culture. And don't forget, I coach guys. So if you're interested, head on over to toddadamscoaching.com and schedule a one-on-one session. First session is free. Finally, I want to give a special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty, and the company he has is Avid. They do painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Go to avidco.net or give him a call at 630-956-1800. Thanks for all your love and support, and keep on trucking.